you've left. So I guess we're done because Justine has left the stage. Kurt, come on up. <laughs> he is risen. Hear that Merry Christmas. That was great. He is risen. Oh, come on, much better. He is risen. All right. Thank you, Lord. All right. So we're actually starting. So thank you guys for clocks and all that kind of stuff. Um, so um, Christianity has this odd thing about it that actually makes it extremely compelling. And that is that it has a number of extremely important paradoxes. A paradox is defined as something that to us cannot both, truth, both things be true. For example, God is three and one. You can't be three and one. In our four dimensions, height, width, time, height, width, depth, and time, you cannot have a thing be three and one. It cannot happen. And yet... It turns out that if you actually add another dimension mathematically, something we figured out relatively recently, it turns out when you add a fifth dimension, something that people of religion have insisted for a long time, that there is another dimension to life, when you add that fifth dimension, you actually can be both three and one. So all of a sudden you have one of these situations where the first three verses in the Bible are the Father, the Holy Spirit, and the Son. That's the first three verses in the Bible. And then just a little bit later on in that first chapter, it says this. Let us make man in our image. And at the same time, God insists, hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. So Christianity has insisted upon this. And it turns out it actually is true, despite the fact that it's only recently that we can understand how such a thing can be true. Now, there are many other paradoxes that are critical, but the one that we're going after today is this. Jesus is both fully man and fully God. Totally and completely man, totally and completely God. You, you know, we would, the way we think about it is, no, you've got to be like 25% one, 75% the other, right? You've got to be some ratio or something, but you can't be 100% man and 100% God. You can't do it. It doesn't make sense. Yet, if you add a fifth dimension, you can. And this is critical for this reason. Because what is Easter all about? Well, it's real simple. God, who is three in one, so loves the relationship that he has between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that all of creation is nothing more than God just saying, I want more to experience this love. And so he made all of creation so that there would be beings that could experience this relationship with God and each other. Now... The one thing he did do was say, I'm never going to force that. I'm not going to force someone to be with me. And so what he did is he put a tree in the garden and he said, you may eat of that tree, but don't. Because in the day that you do, you'll die. Which means you'll be separated from me. The one who's the creator, the one who made life, the one who is life. You went, when you make a choice to go your own direction, you will separate yourself from me. And we did. And so ever since, there's been a gulf. God, who made us to be with us, made us to be one with him, is now suddenly across the chasm from us. And the whole rest of human history is God trying to reconcile that. Now, mankind tried to reconcile it too, kind of, the way we do, which is to say that God gave us thousands of years for any person to find their way back genuinely to God, and not one person ever did. And so finally, at some point in time, God said this. I'm going to institute something, but I want you to understand what it is. I'm going to let you take an innocent animal. God loves his creation. That includes his animals. I don't know whether dogs go to heaven or not, but, you know, he loves them. <laughs> Pretty sure then they must. But the issue is, is that what he did was he said... He said, I am I'm going to let you kill this innocent animal. And when you do it, I want you to be mindful of the pain, the cost, the horribleness of an animal that did nothing wrong 
being killed because of what you did. I want that to be in your mind so that you remember that you did, in fact, sin. Because the penalty for sin, the penalty for going our own way, is separation is death. The penalty for sin is death. And so now there's a death. But it's really not fair that an animal should die for a person's sin, right? I mean, that's kind of ridiculous in a sense. And so here's what God did. He said, that cannot forgive your sin. It'll only put it off for another year. And so literally, they take two goats. They cast lots for them. They take one of the goats, and they slaughter it. And then they take some of the blood, and they put it on the head of the other goat. And that's called the scapegoat, where we get the word from. And then they chase it off into the wilderness. And what they're saying is, for another year, God has allowed our sins to be taken away from us, but they're not gone. Why? Because an animal can't die for a man's sins. It's just not fair. It doesn't, it's not right. God is letting it happen, but it's not right that an animal should die for a person's sin. And so what God does is, is he sends someone who becomes 100% totally man, human, so that that human can die for your and my sin. And that's the first part of Easter. And what this is, is that's a human being who we call the Lamb of God, taking upon himself at that moment every sin that you and I have committed. Every time we made a choice to go our own way, and the consequence of that was separation, that came upon him at that moment. And in some way that we will never understand fully, when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is communicating this. A separation that Jesus is experiencing with the Father and the Holy Spirit that he has had since eternity. This is incredibly painful for him. All of the bodily stripes speak to a deeper spiritual reality of the separation, the death. And so Jesus has to be and is fully and totally man so that a person can die for humankind sin. But here's the truth. If I offend you, it's not really fair for you to have to take the penalty upon, my penalty upon you. That's not really fair either, is it? It's just not fair. So God does something, which is also, let's be clear, not fair. The only one who can actually take the consequences of our decisions upon themselves besides the one who did it is the one that we did it to. We offended God. If God says, I'm going to take that consequence upon myself, I'm not just going to blink and erase it. I'm going to pay for it, for real. And I'm going to take that sin, that offense, that consequence upon myself. You're the one I, you offended me, but I'm taking it on me? Again, do you see how unfair that is? But it is right. It can be done. And it is incredibly loving that God came to die for our sins as a man. Now that is the first part of Easter, of course. The second part is the beautiful thing that the death, the grave, could not hold Jesus, right? And the reason why is because Jesus himself never sinned. He took upon himself all our sin, but he himself never did anything but the Father's will. So he never sinned. And so death could not hold him, and he rose again. And what we celebrate on this Sunday morning is that, right? He is risen yeah, he is risen. <laughs> he is risen. <laughs> this is what we celebrate on Easter morning, right? And then, of course, in that, having made us sinless, he can breathe on us and say, receive the Holy Spirit and make us new. This is what we celebrate as Christians. This is what Bill said earlier. This is why we're celebrating here. This is Easter. I think God wants to do something really cool, though, this Easter. Think about it for a second. 
if Jesus is fully man and fully God, how do we perceive him? In his Godhead? Yeah, a little. But when you close your eyes and image God, like just close your eyes right now and image God. Just how do you image him? Isn't most of you thinking of something that like, like a movie scene? The Jesus that walked on the earth. I mean, some of us are also thinking about him as God. But the one that's easy to do, you can open your eyes now. The one that's easy to do is Jesus as a man. And that was on purpose. God was saying, you can't understand who I really am. So I'm going to come in a way that you can understand me. You can watch what I do and you can see me through it. And so Jesus comes as a person, as a human being, and he does things like this. Seek not ye what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, And all of these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I love that. Here would be another kind of image that we think of when we think of Jesus. not just stories. These things happen. They were faithfully reported by a number of different people over a number of different years and in ways that if they were false, they could have easily been discredited. But you can't discredit what everybody knows. These are the stories that we have in scripture about Jesus. And the bottom line I'm going to leave you is just one more image of him because the one that I think resonates with me the most he just wants to be with us. Don't you just love that image of him just loving being with us and just wanting that? Of, this is what's giving him life. He who is life getting life from our, his relationship with us. I mean, this is beautiful, right? Now, here's what happens. Watch. Jesus says, the one who has seen me has seen the Father. The disciple has asked Jesus, who is it, right? Who are you? And show us the Father. And he says, don't you understand yet? When you see me, you've seen the Father. Now, yes, he was just as a man, but the things that he were doing were things that people can't do. <laughs> and it was revealing the Father. Now, I want you to just hold on to that for a second because here's what happens. There is this passage 
where we start to see who Jesus is as God. And what happens is, let me just start reading it to you here. Let me get my glasses out because otherwise I'll need that entire screen. I was with the Lord. I was, it was the Lord's day and I was worshiping in the spirit and suddenly I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. Now this is coming from John. And John is the youngest of the disciples. And of all the people who knew Jesus when he was alive, it can easily be made, you can easily argue that nobody knew Jesus better than John. He knew him the very most. And in fact, so much so that the Last Supper, as they are reclining at a low table, and Jesus is this way and all of them are reclining the same way, John is actually the one just to his left who puts his head on Jesus' chest. So this is the closeness with which these two know each other. But then there comes a point in time when John is older, he's in prison. He's actually on an island, and he has a vision, and that's the book of Revelation. And what happens is, is that he says at the very beginning, it's the Lord's day, I was worshiping in the spirit. I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast, and it said, write in a book everything you see and send it to the seven churches. When I turned to see he was speaking to me, now I'm going to read the rest of this off of my sheet here. And in order to help you sort of visualize this, we've done a little animation, and I'm not saying it's the best animation in the world, so hang in there with me. But the bottom line is, it's also, by the way, we couldn't get all the detail in, because think about it. When John turns around and sees Jesus as God, he's not seeing him. He can't describe him. What he is is five dimensions. John is seeing in that fifth dimension too, and he's seeing things that there are no words for. He's seeing things, he's doing everything he can to try and communicate it, but he's not able to. So he's just doing the best he can. Now we couldn't animate this because nobody can animate what that fifth dimension looks like. You can't do it, not the best movie guy, nobody can do this. But we wanted to give you just a little something, it doesn't have all the detail and stuff, but I wanted to give you a little something to look at while I read to you what John said he saw, and hopefully this will help you picture it a little bit. So it goes like this. It was the Lord's day, and I was worshiping in the Spirit, and suddenly I heard behind me this voice, and he said, write in a book. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands, and standing in the middle of the lampstand was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze, refined in a furnish, and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. Now listen to this. You're going to hear this over and over. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I died, but look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and the grave. Right? Now we're starting to get some sense of who he is as God. And it made me think something about this sermon today. What would our understanding, how would our understanding of Easter change if we knew more fully Jesus as God? We know him pretty well as man, but how would it change if we really understood what it meant that he was God? So that's where we're going. And I just want to say that was a bit of a long intro. Don't worry. You're going to like what's coming. Having said that, who's our prayer? Philip Britton. Oh, that's wonderful. I'm just, it's so lovely to see you back. His wife took a spill and ended up in the hospital suddenly being bionic uh, as they replaced what every part, every bone in your body with something metal. Yeah, no. She can't, definitely cannot go through detectors. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. So, Philip, would you pray for the service? Would you pray for the sermon? Would you pray for other churches? Oh, Father God. Counselor, friend, Lord God Almighty, we praise you, we thank you for sending your son to live, to die, and to take the keys of death and the grave and come back to commune with us on a daily basis. We give you praise and glory. We thank you so much, Lord. 
even in the darkest hour as things do not go well. As you died, all thought that things were lost, and yet you returned victorious. Let your love permeate our hearts, that we would feel the love that you have for us, that we would be more capable to share that light with others around us. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, that we would love you more as we know you better that would allow us to go out and love those in the world. And Father, I just pray for Eastside Foursquare is there worshiping this morning, Lord, that your spirit would speak through the pastor. Thank you, Lord. Lord, that you would raise up a new generation who understand you, who know you. Thank you, Lord. We give you praise and glory this morning in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Philip. Thank you, Lord. So there are several places in Scripture where God is actually described in some detail. One of my favorite is in Exodus, where Moses is, has been talking with God face to face. And then there comes a moment where he realizes that God is reducing himself down to something he can relate to. Frankly, that God he's talking to is probably Jesus coming in a form to where he can relate to him. But the fact of the matter is, at some point in time, he realizes, I'm talking to you face to face, but there's much more to you. And so he says, let me see your glory. Now, the response by God is, you can't and live. But he says, I will do this. I'm going to put you in a cleft of a rock, and I'm going to put my hand over the cleft, and I'm going to pass by proclaiming my name. And as I get past you, I'm going to pull my hand away at the last moment so that you can look at me from the back for just a moment. Moses does instantly falls to the ground and his face begins to shine so much that when he goes down and sees people, they say, put a veil over your face because that reflected glory is convicting us. That's a cool one. That gives you some sense of the holiness, of the magnificence of the glory of God. There's another one in Isaiah that I like quite a bit. It goes, it, it was in the year of King Isaiah died that I saw the Lord, and he was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings, watch this description, because you're going to see all of this again. This is written 600 plus years before Jesus, and John will write another description we're going to look at just a little after Jesus. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And they were calling out to each other, listen to what they call out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then what does Isaiah do? Same thing Moses did. I said, it's over, I'm doomed. <laughs> For I'm a sinful man, I have filthy lips and I live among the people with filthy lips, yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. He's thinking he's gonna die right then. He doesn't. On the other hand, what happens is, is he says, who am I going to send? And he says, here I am, send me to tell people about him and the visions that he's getting. But there is, as I've just made reference to, probably the coolest description of who God is in the fullness of his glory is found in that revelation that God gave John in the book. And so we're going to go look at that. And it starts off like this. Then I looked and I saw doors standing open in heaven and the same voice I heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. The voice said, come up here and I will show you what must happen after this. Now again, I'm going to give you a little aid here through a visual that I think is cool. I mean, if you're young and you're used to games, but whatever, but I like it. And the fact is, we can't get to the detail. Again, this is other dimensional. But I hope it'll help you and listen to the words. Don't just look at the image. Listen to the words and let it soak into you who God really is. You know what I'm really going for, what the Lord said when I was asking him what he wanted to do this Easter? He said, I want people to experience who I am as God. So we're tr I'm trying everything we can. We're trying everything we can to help you experience him as God in his holiness, in his hugeness. So listen to this as I go, okay? And instantly, I was in the spirit, and I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. 
The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones like jasper and carnelian. And the glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. Twenty-four thrones surrounded him and twenty-four elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumble of thunder. And in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. This is the sevenfold spirit of God. In front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass, sparkling like crystal. By the way, seven-fold spirit. This is saying that the spirit is everywhere. Okay? In front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass, sparkling like crystal. In the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes, front and back. Each of these living beings had six wings. Their wings covered with their eyes, inside and out. Day after day and night after night, they kept saying, have you heard this before? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. Whenever the living angels give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, For you are worthy, Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and they exist because you created what you pleased. Now I'm just going to pause here for a second because we've been talking about the Father on the throne, this image. But now I'm going to read to you the next section, which is continuous with the last one. But I want you to see who we're talking about now. Because we've gone from the Father on the throne to Jesus, who is fully God. Then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one sitting on the throne, and there was writing on the inside and the outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals on this scroll and open it? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. Then I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. But one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb that looked, just like, who was it? Then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered. But it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings and among the 24 elders. He stepped forward and took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. And when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before him, the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they, and they had seven gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song with these words. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered, and your blood has ransomed people from God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God, and they will reign on earth. Then I looked again, and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne, and of the four living beings and the elders, and they sang in a mighty chorus, Worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven on earth and under the earth and in the sea. And they sang, blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. And the four living beings said, amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped the Lord. Do you have a better sense of the holiness, of the glory? Do you have a, very, do you have a better sense of the unapproachable, unapproachableness of God? How just getting even close to him is literally life-threatening to us, even though he's life. But it's because of the sin. But do you get this sense of his glory? That's only part of who God is. Glorious. I want you to think about something else here. How big is he? We say that he created everything. And by the way, he didn't break a sweat. You know, it wasn't any more than a child making a toy or, or you know, a person making an object. He just did it. It was easy for him. He just, it wasn't hard. 
But I want us to see something about that because we can get a sense of his scope because Romans tells us they know God because he made it obvious to us. Ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature. See what he's doing? He's saying, if you want to know who he is, look at what he made. That's going to tell you who he is. And so we need to look at what he made. Let me just, I'm going to talk through this. It's going to go on for just a little bit. That's the earth. And you want to know one of the most outstanding features of this particular planet? That clear atmosphere. That clear atmosphere allows us to be able to see what God made. You realize most planets that have any kind of an atmosphere, it's so gaseous, it's so, it's not opaque, it's not to where you can see through it. It is actually something that you can't see through, and so you could have never seen what God made. But one of the evidences that God made it was, as he said, I made it to where you can see it. It turns out it's not just that, though. It turns out if the earth was just a little bit closer to the center of the Milky Way, it would be too bright for us to see anything outside of the Milky Way, or even in it. It turns out if we were just a little bit further away for other reasons that are more complex, it would also be impossible to see. We happen to be in a very narrow range that allows for us to be able to see virtually the entire universe. And we can see what was in the past because the light takes so long to come from us that when something happened out there a billion years ago, it takes that light that long to get to us, and so we can see what happened in the past as it arrives to us now. You see it? So the point is, is that God has made us uniquely able to see what he made. And now let me just say this. Good work, God. <laughs> By the way, this little cluster that's hundreds of millions of light years across, this little cluster is where stars are born. There are several of them. But that little structure that's just going away right there is where stars are born. Look at that. <laughs> I mean, that's just beautiful. This is the sun. You can see it just teeming. That kind of looks like the Incredible Hulk to me. That's why I included it. <laughs> These are actual images, you know, right? This is not a Hollywood movie studio that did this. They did, they did take the images and 3D them so that they could move through them. This one's called God's Eye. I don't know about you, but that one, that just captures me somehow in my heart. It's just so beautiful. So, like I said, good work, God, right? I mean, to make something, for the scientists in us, to make something that huge, but for the artists in us, do you see how he speaks to that too? And then we're back to our planet. Now, I'm going to do something right here. I think somebody probably promised you that there was no math in Easter. Sorry, but it's very little, and I'm going to do my very best to make it super, super, super simple, all right? So don't freak out, and if I start to lose you, just raise your hand or something, and I'll slow down, okay? Because I want to show you something about God in his creation. We've already seen how big and beautiful he is, but now I want to show you something that is also revealing something about him. We're going to watch a video and the video is going to start from the furthest dimension of space. And then it's going to zoom all the way down to the Milky Way and then all the way down to Earth. And then it's going to go past our scale down to the things that are smaller than us, like, you know, DNA and atoms and so on. You see it? So you're going to see this video, and it's going to give you some sense of the scope of how large things are but also how small things are, and that's going to be important for a second, but let me get to it here. 
It's going to take a couple of clicks. Now, here we go. See, that's what the universe looks like if you could get outside of it and see it from outside, which you can't. Okay? But here, these are actual images again. Now you see you're finally starting to see galaxies. There's the Milky Way galaxy. And now we're, we're spiraling into, there's the sun. And here comes the earth. Look at what a, look at what a speck upon a speck upon a speck upon a speck the earth is. That's ridiculous, isn't it? <laughs> now look at this. You just keep going. This is made by Google, so sorry, Microsoft. <laughs> but you see, now we're getting right down to the scale. Now here's a leaf. Now we're going to start going what's inside of just this one leaf. So here's a cellular level. And then here's the things that are inside of cells. And then we're getting down to a DNA, RNA level. And then we're getting down to an atomic level. And then we're getting down to actual atoms level or molecule level. And now we're getting to atomic level. And here is a, is a nucleus. And there are quarks. And by the way, quarks are not the smallest thing. If you thought they were, you are off by several magnitudes. And that's what that's illustrating. I mean, several magnitudes. There's, there's what's called quark foam. And it's the length of a string. It's called a plank. And it's way, 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 way smaller than an actual quark is. But having said that, here's what we're going to do. This is, see the black here, the black circle? This is the universe. Now, we can only observe, we can observe quite a lot of it. You can see the circle inside the circle. We can observe quite a lot of the universe. See that? So that's a miracle. I mean, again, from almost every other place in the universe, you can't see it. But from our unique spot, we can. And we can see that much of it. We know by math and so on that there's this much more to it. There you go, right there. Now look down here to the right-hand side. You see the circle I put over on 10 to the 27th power? That's a number that says it's 10 to the 27th. That's that big of a number. Here's what it's saying. If we're 10, if we're the scale, how much bigger than me is the universe? See it? So it turns out that it's bigger by 27 zeros. Does anybody know what that number is? There's probably people in here that are smart enough to actually know what that stupid number is. Is there? What's that? Yeah, I got that part. Okay, thank you. I got it. I got it. So, but here's the point. It's a big number. And you realize every time you add a zero, it, that's 10 times larger Okay, so this is huge, right? Now, let's just, let's just take this sliding scale. This is actually, you can go online and find this, and you can take that little scale right there, it's an Adobe Flash, and you can run it across, and when you do, you're going down in scale to where eventually you'll get to man, the size of man. See, there's a beach ball. Dodo birds are surprisingly large, okay? <laughs> but here we go. Okay, and that may be a parable in there, don't you think? Dodo birds and man, roughly equal? Okay. But the point is, you get down to a scale and you see it's 10 to the zero. See that? The scale right now, we're the scale. We're, we've set ourselves as the scale. And I want you to see 10 to the zero. And now what we're going to do is we're going to extend that further down to the smallness in the universe. And we're going to get to 10 to the 35th, which is that number. See that? Ten. Now, there's about three or four quick little lessons we're going to learn from this about God. Here's the first one. Look where we are on that scale. We're roughly in the middle of it. Not quite, but roughly. Why? Why should we be in the middle of the scale? We could be much larger or much smaller. Right? I mean, it's... We're in the middle of the scale, so I would like to ask this question. What is the Lord trying to communicate to us by making us roughly the center of the largest and the smallest things in the universe, in all of creation? What, what do you think God might be saying to us? Go ahead. Yeah. We're the center. He really did make it for us. And he made it larger than us, and he made it smaller than us. And we're going to look at that in more detail, but I just want to say... You're the apple of his eye. Right? He made all of creation for you to be able to exist. 
Well, that's pretty cool. Let's just try another one here. See that 10 to the 27th, that huge number? There are people that will say, you know, God didn't make the universe in one way as you can tell is because he wasted so much space. <laughs> right? I mean, he could have just made this little planet that had a little solar system and somehow that all worked together. Now, to be clear about this, I want to tell you that scientifically that's not actually true. It turns out if the universe was a very small amount larger in total mass, that when the Big Bang happened, it would have gone out and immediately collapsed on itself because of its own gravitation, because the mass would have been too high. If it was just a little bit less than what it actually is, it would have gone out and just kept expanding and never would have coalesced into stars and planets and so on, all these beautiful things we saw. So it turns out that the universe is exactly the size it needs to be in order to get what we got, okay? But let's just say that that wasn't, let's just, let's just not even look at that for a second. Let me ask you again, when we get to sizes that size, what is God trying to communicate to us with this phenomenally huge number? Let me make one thing clear. This number is so large that it has been calculated by people who do such things. I don't know who these people are or where they get their grants. But they think about this, and what they say is, if you take the most a mind can comprehend, the largest thing that a mind can comprehend, the universe is still another six times that large. Meaning times and times and times. So it's quite a bit larger, but it's six times larger than we can even comprehend. So let me just ask you this question. What is God trying to communicate to us with this phenomenally huge number? Did you hear it? He's bigger. Let me just put it this way. He is infinitely bigger and larger and grander and more glorious than we can ever possibly imagine by magnitudes of order, which is to say that we can trust him. In fact, let me put it this way. He's so big, he can handle your problems in ways which you can't even begin to imagine. When we have a problem, we have a solution. And then God doesn't do our solution, and we're disappointed in him. And sometimes we even think he couldn't have done it. When the truth is, is that he had something going on that was past your ability to imagine it at all. And that's what he's trying to do. Literally, the reason why God made it so big, I think, in part, was just to show us how big he is. Because <laughs> he's bigger than all that. But, now watch this. The problem for us typically is not whether or not God's big enough. I think most people, even that don't know the Lord, will think, well, if there is a God, he's big, right? The problem is whether or not he's so big that he doesn't really see my problems, which are so small, compared to him and all he has to do. In other words, they're big problems to me, but is God so busy with the universe and all these billions of people and the animals and everything else? Is he just so big that I can't possibly, he can't possibly actually give me much bandwidth. See, I fit in the margins because like he, you know, he's stressed. Right? Well, now watch the illustration we get from this number. We start at 10 to the 27 and then we move it all the way down to the very bottom and as we've already said, we get to 10 to the 30, negative 35th. So tell me now, what's God trying to say with this phenomenally huge negative number? A number which, by the way, is larger than how much bigger it is. Stop for a second and think about that for just a second. Is there anybody in here that believes this? Here I am standing here. You are sitting there. And the universe is 27 zeros larger than you. Does anybody believe that the universe is even smaller than you than it is larger than you. Anybody in here think that? When I think about myself relative to the universe, I cannot conceive that there's something inside of me that goes down to a level that is even smaller in scale than the universe is large, right? So what is God trying to communicate with this phenomenally huge negative number? Now, you said that, and that's true. Yeah. I, I really, both of them, he's good with details. 
He's in the details. He's in the details in a way that is as unfathomable to you as is his largeness. Even more so. I think it's no mistake whatsoever that God has a slightly to the right in the scale. Because he's trying to say, as big as I am, I care about you even more. that he cares about you in much, much, much more greater detail than any of us could ever possibly imagine. Well, that's pretty cool, isn't it? So was it okay that we had a little math in Easter? <laughs> Did you learn a little something about God? I'm going to tell you about a vision that I had. Some of you have heard it. Apologize, apologies for that, but it's important for this thing. When we talk about God being 35 zeros, to the negative in terms of his detail. I was in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, living, and we lived in a little cabin. And I had an office in the back bedroom, and then there was a kitchen, and then there was a living room, and there was a little couch, and then there was a table, uh, um, this little table, and then there was a TV. And I was working in the back, and then I got hungry. It was lunchtime, and I came out, and I made myself a sandwich, and then I went to the couch, and I sat down, and I put my dishes down, in front of the TV, and I clicked on the TV. And I went right into the middle of a program that was a talk show like Oprah, but it wasn't Oprah. I don't even remember who it was. But there was a panel of people who had had near-death experiences. They had died and come back again. And there was one of the people talking about their experience. And they hadn't said more than two words. Literally, it was like, duh, duh, and they were, they were not important words. But they said two words, and I knew in my heart suddenly that what this person was saying was something that they didn't understand, and it wasn't true. It wasn't what they thought it was. It wasn't that they were a bad person, but that they had missed, that there was just a problem in what they were saying. And as I listened a little bit more, it became clear to me really quickly that that was a correct assumption. But as I was having this moment, now remember where I'm, so... Just, I'm doing it this way. So I'm sitting here, table here, TV there, wall there. Now what happened was, is that all of a sudden from this side, these hands came in through the wall. And they reached around to the TV roughly, and they, they sort of like a, like a, if it was like a spandex type material or something, and it, it went into this material and it pulled it apart like this. And what I could see was a picture like this. It actually looked even a little bit more. Do you guys remember the old Microsoft green field of grass? <laughs> and I tried to find it because that's what it looked quite a bit like. So that must mean God really loves Microsoft, I'm just saying. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> pandering there. That's called pandering. But it was an enormous grassy field. And when God pulled this thing apart, and I was looking at all of that grass, this thought came into my mind. And I'm telling you, literally, God had to take my mind and expand it to even begin to get an understanding of what it was he was dumping into me at that moment. I literally felt like it wasn't just that thing that was pulling apart. He was taking my mind and he was expanding it so that I could receive what he was saying. And here's what he was saying to me. Every single blade of grass is exactly as tall, exactly as wide, exactly as open, exactly as colored, in every detail that every single blade of grass was exactly what he was telling it to be. There is this thought about God and creation that he put together like the Big Bang and then the universe has all these laws of physics and so like a watch, it's now running down and God is watching what he created as it runs down according to physics. But this was totally against that thought whatsoever. This was a thought that was saying this, every single blade of grass in every single part of the world is the way that it is at that time moment because God willed it to be that way. Some of you know what sovereignty is. Sovereignty means God's in control. I'm telling you, the degree to which God was saying he's in control was blowing my mind. 
And then what happened was, is all of a sudden I started to become aware of that there was these people there. I couldn't see them, but I was aware that they were there, but around the sort of sides of the picture. But then I started becoming aware of us as human beings. And all of a sudden I became aware of my own breathing. And what God started to say to me was, every single breath that every single person and animal, etc., every single breath at every single moment of the breath. It wasn't just like he says, okay, now you can have a breath, and you can have a breath, and you can have a breath. I know. But what he was saying was, is I'm in every breath, and you are getting it because I willed it. Every breath, and throughout the fullness of the inhale and the exhale. I am in the middle of it, willing it to be so. Now, I get that there's physics, and I get that there's laws, and I get that people could say whatever they want to say about it. What I can tell you is what the Lord was telling me was he was in control to the 27th power, to the 35th power. He was in control of everything at every moment, and nothing happens except he wills it. Now, you can get into funky theology on that too, but let me just say it totally made this scripture come alive to me. He existed before everything else, and he holds all creation together. Whenever I see that verse and whenever I see anything that's like it, because there's several verses like that in Scripture, whenever I see them, I go right back to this moment. When you have a vision from God, that's not something you can forget. And you can tell, I've told this story before over many years, and you can go back and listen to the first time I told it and today that I told it, and you will find that it's exactly the same story. This is burned into my mind in a way that I cannot forget. And what it makes me do, despite the fact that I live as if it's not true all the time, what it makes me do is to realize and own and live in the tender care that he has for me at every moment, in every single way. We can all too easily wonder if he really knows what's going on in our lives. Does he really see? Does he really care? Does he really love me? And let me just tell you how much he loves you. He went from glory with the Father on the throne at every moment to this. He went from glory to that because of me. He needed to, and he wanted to. Does he love me? Because he also went from this. This is that star-making factory. He literally went from a God who makes stars. <laughs> To this. You know, the scripture tells us about that. Verse 6. Jesus had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to that no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. But that he did because he loves us. And so the scriptures can say in truth, we don't have a priest who's out of touch with our reality. We don't have a God who's out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing. He's experienced it all, all but the sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready, willing, and wanting to give. Take the mercy. Accept the help. 
I love that phrasing. He's not going to force it on anybody. But he's sitting there with everything, the fullness of the universe, right down to the tiniest detail, saying, I want to give you everything. <laughs> but I'm not going to force you. Your choice. And whether you've accepted him at some point in your life, this is the kind of thing that we have to accept all the time. Or whether you've never accepted him, in which case he's saying, oh man, the things I have for you. Because the truth of the scripture is this. I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. You know, anybody could have said that. Jesus proved it. said death can't hold me in ways that are as provable as anything that's ever happened in all of history Jesus rose again cost to himself but because he loved us for God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever would believe could have eternal life why? because God wants to fly with us <laughs> this is creation that's astoundingly, unimaginably beautiful to be flying through that. Heaven makes this look simple. Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, thank you for showing us who you are. Thank you for giving us a better sense of how big you are, how glorious you are, how incredible you are, how detailed you are, how caring you are. Thank you for showing us love by showing us a kind of love that is 10 to the billionth more than what we could ever think or imagine. Thank you for loving us. Thank you, God. In front of you, there are two cups. Take the lower one, in which is this bread, and understand what this bread means. This was his body broken for us to save us. If you believe that, put your finger in there and break it. I recognize what I did to separate myself from you, and I recognize what you did to reconcile me back. If, by the way, you're here and you don't know him, can I just make a beautiful suggestion that what a better time to accept him than right now? What a better time to say yes. So in Jesus' holy and precious name, 
But if you get it, if you get why this God now had to do what he did in the way that he did it, in ways that you can feel him calling you, that you can feel him drawing you, oh, don't let this moment pass. And by the way, if you're here and you haven't been close to the God who's close to you at one times 10 to the 35th, 37th, And in Jesus' holy and precious name, would you please, would you please just receive him? Would you say yes to him and what he did for you? Because he did it for everybody. He just isn't forcing you to take it, so make a choice. And like I say, if you've been not been walking with him closely, this is a perfect time to think, to understand what's in this cup. Communion means to become one with and you're becoming one with Jesus who loves you, who gave everything for you, and who has so much more he wants to give. So in Jesus' holy and precious name, we lift this cup to you, Jesus, who died on that cross for us. We get that we needed it, and we thank you for giving it. In Jesus' name, take together. And now take this cup in which is the wine which stands in for his blood, which is to say that the life is in the blood and is to say that what he wants to do is give us new life. Whether we've known him for a long time, he wants to give us more. Whether we've known him and we're just on a pause, he wants to give us more. Whether we've never known him, he wants to give us new life. He wants to give every single person in this place new life, yet again new. And so we say, and if you don't, if you're not saying this, I love you, nobody's looking around, but I just lovingly am saying, don't take it. You don't mean it. If you do mean it, say yes to him and let this God come into your life and start to do the coolest things you could ever imagine. So if this is what you want, lift this cup and take together. <laughs>